Welcome everyone to ISKCON of Silicon Valley. We're so happy to have you here with us today. The Zoom aspect of our program will start in 10 minutes. There's just a technical delay. And the live stream has already started. So we welcome those who have joined us on social media from various places. And today we'll be talking about ways in which to purify the mind because the mind is the sense within and when the mind is controlled through the process of bhakti yoga then there's a natural way that we're connected with the supreme personality of God, Krishna and that's the great fortune of our lives so one of the processes to achieve this kind of purity of mind is through chanting of the divine names of God or Krishna. We say Krishna because it means the all-attractive one, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's the source of everything, especially the source of all beauty, knowledge, strength, renunciation. And when we chant the mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We come directly in contact with the Supreme Himself through the mantra. What to speak of all of the spiritual world present there within the mantra itself. Right, Sadhu Vrindavan? He knows. He came right into the vibration when he was born and keeps it going throughout his life. So let's try chanting. First, we'll start with a beautiful song from Bhaktivinoda Thakur that describes the relationships in the spiritual world because everyone looks for relationships in every aspect of life. If we uh, gravitate towards relationships more than anything, let's just say you live in a stone house. Anybody here live in a stone house? How about a wooden house? How about part wood, part stone house? Something. Who knows what it's made out of nowadays? You live in a house, but if your consciousness is absorbed in the wood or the stone or the metal or whatever it's made out of, you won't have any happiness. You'll just be in stone or wood or plaster consciousness. What we want in a stone house or a wood house or any other house is happiness, and the happiness comes from the relationships we have within the house. If you have poor relationships within the house, even if it's a grand house, you'll wish you didn't live there, I guarantee you. And if you live in a little small house or maybe a, a hut, does anybody here live in a hut? No hut dwellers? Well, how about a cave? Anybody live in a cave? And came down for the class today? No? Well, if you did, but you had happy relationships within the cave with somebody else or with your own mind, then you wouldn't mind the cave at all. So the real trick in life is to purify the mind. And the song we're going to sing is about a small little village where... Everybody has a spiritual relationship with Krishna. And among themselves, 
all the people who live in that spiritual village, it's called Vraja. Everyone say Vraja. Everyone lives in that uh, small town that they all feel happy because they have a relationship with Krishna and with all the devotees of Krishna. Thank you everyone for singing so beautifully. That was amazing. And uh, such a happy tune. Really, the way we carry ourselves in life and the direction we decide to go in life, it depends on the song we keep in our heart. Because the body is like a chariot and the heart is the driver. And if we have a transcendental happy song in our heart, then no matter where we are, we'll transport ourselves in such a way that we're above the complexities of the material world. So the founder of this movement, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, contributed to the teachings of Bhakti Yoga Krishna Consciousness all over the world by bringing with him to the United States, first in New York, several literatures that are extremely important for those who are eager to improve themselves spiritually. One of them is the Bhagavad Gita, and the other one is the Srimad Bhagavatam. Within these uh, two books, there are instructions about how to deal with one's mind. Now keep consider that when you're born, you get a free mind thrown in. It's thrown in for free, but you only get one. So you have to be the person who deals with the mind and make sure that it's operating properly. And fortunately, there's an instruction book that comes along with the mind. Not maybe, it's not maybe not available when you're first born, but it's on the planet available. Bhagavad Gita is one such book. Srimad Bhagavatam is another. And have you ever had the experience putting together some IKEA furniture where you finally gave up and decided to follow the book? Oh, good. So I'm not the only one. And in a similar way, if all else fails in dealing with the mind, and it will, it's helpful to follow the instructions given in the Bhagavad Gita. This Krishna is, if you'll indulge for a moment, the supreme person speaking to us out of benevolence in order to give a practical path that we can all follow as humans. And by the way, as described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, if you have a human form, it's a funny way to say it. Are you humans? Check and see. Well, then you're lucky because it's a great opportunity, according to the Srimad Bhagavatam, and I'll keep referring to Srimad Bhagavatam, it's, it's a text that teaches all about the science of bhakti. Bhakti means the practice of yoga that is um, 
driven by engagement of our senses in uh, higher topics and in service to the Supreme. It's not stopping anything, but it's using our senses and our mind to do divine service. So that's called devotional service. Some people call it bhakti yoga. And Srimad Bhagavatam is one such text which describes how our minds become affected by our association. The Bhagavad Gita says the same thing. And that is that whatever state of mind we're in now is a result of our previous associations in this world. The verse goes, Purusha prakriti stohi punkte prakriti jangunan karanam guna sangosya sarasad yoni janmasu Wherever you find yourself, whatever state of mind you find yourself in, is a result of association. Because as human beings, or as sentient beings in human bodies, it's not that we have a soul, but we are the soul. The soul is also called the atma, or it's a divine spark of life. It's the only entity in the material world that's non-compostable. According to a book I got over the pandemic, you can compost anything except for the soul because it doesn't break down ever. Never never has broken, never never will break down. Whereas everything else you can compost and eventually it'll break down. Are there any chemists in here? Can tell us what what is what chemical or element has the longest half life? Just engineers. Okay. So, as sentient beings, we're very sensitive, and as we move about the world, and we associate ourselves with others, primarily through the sound vibration we receive from various people and realms that we're in. In fact, any realm, can anybody look up the word realm, please? Whatever realm you're in, does anybody live in a realm somewhere? (laughs) What does it mean? We'll need a plethora of microphones to execute our duties here today. Thank you, all of you who are transferring over from the Bhakti Yoga retreat today. Thanks for coming. A realm is a noun, and it means a kingdom. It can also mean a field or domain of activity or interest. Okay. Every field of activity or area of interest or kingdom is developed by sound. And that's why movies have soundscapes. And whatever kinds of people were around, we'll find that there's a unique type of sound vibration that comes from each because of their proclivities. Everyone has an inclination to speak about a certain type of topic and also to make certain kinds of music. Everyone has some kind of song to sing. Can you think of any culture that doesn't have a song to sing? Well, if you can, remind me not to go there. Um, Everywhere you go, there's a song. 
sentient beings want to sing something. And the kinds of songs they're singing and the kinds of stories they're telling, actually wisdom gets passed down in most cultures through stories, will determine, as we associate with them, how we develop our own minds. And that, according to Bhagavad Gita, is the science of the mind and how we get into the state of mind we're in now. It's a it, meaning the mind, and the state of mind that we're in is a, an aggregation of the various kinds of sounds we hear from the different kinds of people we associate with. Also, sound carries consciousness. So we pick up the mood of the people we're associating with. If they have pure intentions, when we hear the sound that comes from them, then that particular sound vibration uh, that we imbibe from them also gives us the, a similar mood. So once we're in a state of mind, a particular state of mind, it takes practice to reform the mind if we want it to be in a purer state. So what do I mean by purity? I'll just be a little technical for a second. Can you, can you bear with me for a moment? In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes how there are three modalities that dominate the world that we're in now. There's, at the higher end of the spectrum, what's called sattva, and it's a, a realm of clarity, or an energy of clarity, and also it's pure. And the next modality is called rajas, or passion. It stimulates in us the desire to act, and to achieve, and to acquire results. And then the lowest of modalities is called tamas, or ignorance. It's a very dark mode, and it instills irrational activity, meaning we can do things that are harmful to ourselves. We may even know they're harmful, but we still do it anyway because we're influenced by this lower energy. And according to Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, these three energies mix together all the time. And they're always fighting for supremacy. So you may be experiencing a modicum of sattva, or the higher, more clear energy of the, of the world. But then there's an upsurge in rajas, or passion. And then suddenly you feel inspired to do more creation or to acquire. And ignorance can also emerge. And there can be combinations and permutations of all these three that make a palette full of colors. More than a palette, a, a spectrum of colors. So similarly, there's a spectrum of moods and perspectives and types of consciousness in this world because of the mixing of the modes of material nature. And actually, our minds are material. They're instruments, originally completely pure, but like a palate, they get influenced by the gunas or the qualities I just described. And on that originally 
clear, pure palette, we see various combinations and permutations of color. And that is the lens we look through and see the world. That's why a Greek philosopher once said, we don't see the world the way it is, we see the world the way we are. But how are we seeing? We're seeing through the, the lens of the mind. And another example of the mind that's given is what I mentioned in the beginning before we chanted is a mirror. And if you've ever seen a mirror that gets warped or has a blemish on it, you might be startled. Have you ever looked in a mirror and it showed you to be about 30 pounds heavier than you actually are? Does that concern anybody? Yeah? No? Maybe? Uh, or have you ever looked in a mirror and it makes your head look like it's uh, lopsided? Of course, it may be anyway, but <laughs> it happened to me once on an airplane when I was dozing and I got up and I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh, I must have had my head in between the seats because now it looks lopsided. I don't think I'll get off the plane. I look like a monster. But then I moved my head a couple inches to the left and I saw that it looked fairly normal but it was just a blemish in the mirror that had distorted it. So the mind like that distorts the reality of the, distorts reality. And according to the state of the mind, we see the world. So it's necessary then to purify the mind in the process of yoga means to come to such a state of purity in mind that the mind is not disturbed by unnecessary desires, but it takes pleasure in the self. This is something mentioned by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita when he was asked by his student, Arjuna, what is the symptom of somebody who is in a spiritual Spiritually situated, who has a spiritually situated mind? What is the symptom of such a person? And the first thing he tells him is, Stita means to be steady. It's a cognate with the word in English, stand. Like you have a place to stand where you can't be pushed around. And he said, a person who's got spiritual standing, this is the first symptom that he or she is able to observe the condition of the mind as a witness and notice that it's producing various kinds of desires. And that person has discrimination to see which one of these desires he or she should hook on to, and which ones should leave behind. And he describes, does Krishna, in, the, in this verse, that the mind uh, creates myriad propositions, desires, which are combinations and permutations of various sense objects that we've seen over millennia in different types of bodies. They're all, all these images are accumulated within the mind. Modern psychologists have talked about it as the subconscious. There are various 
suggestions we get from the subconscious mind all the time that we're not aware of. And we think, oh, yeah, I thought of that. There's actually a little factory in there. And it's taking all the kinds of impressions that we've seen, things we've heard, and then manufacturing 31 flavors, or how many ever Baskin-Robbins has, but times 8,400,000. I mean, it, it adds up to at least that much different ideas. So a person who's fixed in spiritual consciousness then can see all these various suggestions of the mind and not feel compelled to embrace them and say, I, I have to follow this dictate. Have you ever seen something come through your mind, like a desire, and you thought, that's a bad idea, but then you found yourself doing it anyway? Oh, good. Thanks for smiling, laughing, and raising your hands, because I feel better now. Well, a person who develops this strength of mind through the process of yoga then doesn't feel obligated to grab onto everything that the mind brings up, just sees it as a kind of concoction because the person who's practicing yoga has a different plan. The way you outsmart a genius, do you know how to outsmart a genius? Of course, most of you are geniuses, so it's hard to bring up in this audience, but um, if you're not, like me, then the way you outsmart a genius is you get a better plan than the genius and you just follow that. Geniuses can go any which way, it doesn't matter the strength of your mind, but if you have the discrimination to follow a better plan, then you'll be more successful. And that's what you need to be successful in yoga. Find a plan that was set out by somebody who has a clearer perspective than you do. And what's suggested in the, all the yoga literatures is there's a supreme being who knows what the best plan is, and it's better than yours. And if you follow that plan, then you'll be successful. And so when the mind suggests various plans and ideas, you say, yeah, thanks a lot, but I already have another plan. I'd like to follow yours, but it's really stupid, just by default, because you concocted it. It's kind of like Jarvis. Is that the name of the AI program? Is it called Jarvis? No, it's an AI, you know, it's a artificial intelligence. You know, the one that you can, you can say, make up a paragraph that's, that talks about uh, flashlights. And the next thing you know, you know, there's like 10 paragraphs it'll concoct, it'll pull from all over the, the internet. Hey, Kachakra Pran, is it called Jarvis? Huh? Yes. Jamulus? <laughs> yes, Jarvis. Yes, so Jarvis, it's an AI tool for people who want to um, make up stuff. No, it, it's supposed to help you in writing things, and it, it can be very helpful in some ways, but it, it does just pull from all over the place, and it can come up, if, I guess if you don't know how to use it properly, it can come up with uh, paragraphs that are, um, they sound good, but they're utter nonsense. It sounds like that's really good writing. And, uh, but if you actually looked into it, it's like 
no, that's completely wrong. <laughs> that's completely wrong. <laughs> and so the mind does that too. It comes up with all kinds of ideas that seem seemed like a good idea at the time, but it's really not. So <clears throat> what's suggested, what it, uh, Krishna, who's teaching the yoga process in the Bhagavad Gita suggests, is that we get used to following um, uh, the uh, instructions uh, of those who are not affected by the modes of material nature. And if we can do that, then we can uh, move through the world without incident. That means we don't get caught up in the various uh, complicated situations that are created by making wrong choices. So for those whose minds are affected to any degree by the modes of material nature, uh, they get colored, uh, like if you get a kind of um, color in the wash that you weren't expecting, it goes into all the other clothes, colors our, our whole experience in the material world. So the first method uh, re um, recommended in the Bhagavad Gita is to take uh, direction from the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam about uh, what choices to make and, and where to fix your mind, which object to think of so that the mind becomes not only satisfied but also purified. So it turns out there is something that you can fix your mind on, but it's uh, not a thing, it's actually a person. So Krishna is the supreme form, according to the Vedas, and his form is spiritual. It's not a material form. And so if you think of the spiritual form of Krishna, use your mind and keep bringing your mind back to the spiritual form of Krishna, then the mind becomes satisfied, it becomes pure. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, that when you test this out, you'll see that if you think of Krishna by, and I'll talk about how to do that in a minute, if you think of Krishna, invest your consciousness in thinking of Krishna, then you won't lack anything. You'll be, you'll, you'll be infused with a good sense about how to work and act in the world. And whatever resources are available in the world, which is a lot what the mind goes after, isn't it? I learned it in economics. We're all looking for scarce resources and try to control them because that's the idea. Try to control the scarce resources. So there's resources everywhere, and I'm trying to gather them in my mind to think, how can I control them? So Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that here's an alternative, better plan. Think of the form of the Supreme and fix that in your mind. Then he said, you, you won't want for anything. All resources will be available to you because you're going right to the source. So I'm so used to gathering all the resources myself and trying to hold them all in my mind 
And then while I'm holding one, the other one's evaporating, trying to open the door with my foot, get everything balanced in my life. But if I go to one source, which is Krishna, and I think of Krishna, then I'll naturally uh, be in contact with all the stipulated energies will be synchronized in one place, and they're all available at one time. That's a better plan. Therefore, in all of the, the teachings of the Vedas and about yoga, uh, there's all these rules and regulations, things you're supposed to do and not do. Anybody from a, a very uh, religious culture, it doesn't matter where you're from, could be Israel or India. Um, I don't know how much in America this applies. But in a lot of religious cultures, there, there are lots of regulations you're supposed to follow in order to be considered to be in harmony with the process that you're following. Is this resonating with any of you? Yes. <laughs> okay, let the record show for those who couldn't hear that. We, someone said yes in a, what the tone of voice was. Yeah, um, definitely we've experienced that. So there's this one-pointedness that Krishna recommends in the Bhagavad Gita, which comes to, um, which, I th which is epitomized by a consolidation of all the rules and regulations that you have to follow in your life in order to be successful in business, in your religious process, or whatever it may be. And they come down to this, using the mind, Number one, never forget Krishna. And you ready for the second one? You sure? Always remember Krishna. Never forget Krishna, always remember Krishna. So it's simplified, isn't it? Because there can be a lot of things, don't touch this. If you touched it, then put it back here for how many hours and be careful of this and that. But if you go to this one source, Krishna, who's the source of all spiritual energy. He's, he's the origin of everything. And you think of him, and you meditate on him, and you always uh, stay that way. And whenever you forget, then you come back, you remember Krishna again, then everything will fall into place perfectly. That's an easier process than trying to cover everything individually. And that's what's actually recommended in the Bhagavad Gita. So... How can we do this practically? There are a lot of... Uh, I have a lot of desires. I have a lot of uh, plans and necessities. Does anybody here have any necessities? Could you name like three? We're talking about Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. And we're talking about the, the first couple rungs on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Where, what are some of the necessities you have? Food? We'll feed you later, don't worry. Let's try to hold on, would you? Uh, okay, house, you gotta have a house. If you're Canada, you gotta have a house. Um, so somewhere, somewhere, somehow or other, you have to have some shelter to live, even yogis live in caves, come on. So you have house, any other, one more necessity? Clothing. You've got to have clothing. And if you want to walk around San Francisco or Palo Alto and look around, but most of the shops, they're clothes or food and nail salons. Three things. 
that's another necessity on Maslow's pyramid somewhere. So there are all, there are all these uh, necessities uh, that, that one may uh, need. And so how do you tie them all up? Well, one of the ways that, uh, that Krishna recommends in the Bhagavad Gita is to transform them. Uh, don't try to avoid them, but transform them. So in a single verse, he solves all our problems because we have lots of stuff, things, thoughts, necessities. So here's what he says. Brahmarpanam brahmahavir brahmagnau brahmanohutam brahmaiva tenagantavya brahmakarma samadina. And what this basically means is it's good news for all of us. Whatever you have now and uh, whatever plans you have, desires and so forth, you could keep them. Feel better? Okay. However, if you use them in service to Krishna, then they transform from being material and they become spiritual. So they're no longer a problem for you. So even as you live amidst various desires and you have material possessions and infrastructure that you have to take care of. The formula is, and it's all fits into this paradigm of always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him, including taking medicine. Anybody take medicine? Okay. So if you're using your body in service and you take medicine, it's, uh, it becomes spiritualized because you're doing it to stay alive so you can keep doing service. So that counts too. And... Let's say if your child's about to fall off a cliff and you grab his hand and pull him back up, does that count? Yeah, if you're working in devotional service because you want to stay alive. So it's okay to stay alive. So the Bhagavatam says everything you have now to stay alive in the hierarchy of needs, if you just change how you think about it and think of it as to be used in service, paraphernalia to be used in service, then all of those, that uh, myriad of items that you have and considerations that you're making, it becomes transformed from spiritual, from material thoughts and possessions into spiritual ones. And an example that uh, our founder of this movement and the, the main teacher, Srila Prabhupada gave repeatedly was that if you take an iron rod and you put it into fire, and you leave it there long enough, it transforms from iron into fire. And so everything that we have, including our bodies, our minds, our houses, the various, um, is it possible to take a, a holiday and turn it into a spiritual occasion? It ought to be, because the name holiday actually means a holy day, doesn't it? <laughs> And that's how far you can go. You have a holy day, and then all of a sudden it's something else. So basically, the Bhagavad Gita is saying is, okay, just remember it's a holy day, not for something else. And that pertains to practically everything in our lives. So it's a simple formula. And so what's the best way to do this? Well, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita tells us some kind of shocking news. So if you're not in the mood to feel a little shocked right now, you're kind of relaxed and you don't want to 
get your heartbeat going too fast, then we have a waiting room out here. You can step out for a minute. Of course, there's speakers out there, so plug your ears. Are you you're all staying? Okay, so f he talks about this in the Bhagavad Gita in a chapter called Attaining the Supreme. Sounds pretty lofty, but that's actually the purpose of life. So he says that when we're working in the world and playing in the world and interacting with all the things we have, we'll start to develop a mindset that gets calcified. What does calcified mean? Yeah. Have you ever seen anything that calcifies? In your home, maybe in the sink? Yeah, if you have a lot of uh, calcium in your water, it starts coming down and it gets hard like rock. Research department, what do we have? Calcified, it's used in biology and chemistry. It's an adjective and it means hardened by deposition of or... Con this important uh, deposition means... Yeah, go ahead. Deposition of or conversion into calcium carbonate or another insoluble calcium compound. Yeah, so the mind is originally pure and flexible, but it gets calcified by our connection with various uh, material thoughts and images and desires. It, it all comes together and then it hardens. That's why sometimes you might think that why am I, no, that's me. I might think, why am I so hard-hearted? And, you know, there's a calcification. Or why am I stuck in my ways? Because the mind has become calcified to act in a certain way. Anybody ever heard of addiction? Yeah. So addiction means that you do it so many times, there's so many depositions, you're putting in one drop after another, you think it's a little thing, but then those little drops add up. What are they, stalagmites or stalactites? That Which ones go up and which ones go down for 300 points in this class? No one's been in a cave before? You don't know what stalagmites and stalactites are? If not, I have to take you to a few caves. Stalagmites and stalactites, and I, I don't know which ones are which, but some go down and some go up. But which one? He knows. What do we have, a geologist in here? Are you a caver? How do you know these things? You come from a good family. They took you places, right? Good for you. So which one is it? Stalag tights come down. Stalag tights, you'll see in caves. They've been there sometimes for millions of years. And a little tiny infusion of water comes down. It catches on to the end. And then, and now I'm making it up, so I hope nobody knows what I'm talking about. Because then it, it that calcifies at the tip, and it just sticks. It hardens, and after a while, you, some of them are uh, many feet long. They can be, you know, uh, yards long. And you can go in these caves and s see gigantic, looks like icicles. Same thing happens with ice. But in these caves, it becomes hardened. So as we go through and we expose ourselves 
to various images in the material world, especially those th I'm thinking of how to squeeze out some happiness from matter. And I get some temporary exposure. These are called, uh, sorry if I use a technical term, but chladini samskars. Chladini means bliss, and the samskar means it leaves a stalactite. It forms into a calcified sense that I want to enjoy that again. And when there's enough of them in there, when I've gone through a whole lifetime, then I develop a whole cave full of these stalactites and stalagmites. Those are the ones that come up from the ground and point upwards. Then, here comes the shocking part. When we leave this particular body, which could happen pretty much at any time, no guarantee, and there's no warranty or lease agreement. Then <clears throat> the conglomeration of these impressions impels us to take another material body. And in the world of yoga, that's not a good thing, just so you know. The object is not to stay in the repeated cycle of birth and death, but it's to become freed from that cycle, which is called samsara, and it causes us to suffer. Like, we're forced to move on constantly, like we are homeless wanderers. And you're in a place, and then somebody comes and says, okay, get out. So we control our own future, but it all has to do with the mind. So Krishna says in the Gita, that yang yang vapi smaran bhavam tajatyante kalevaram tam tam evaitikontiya sadatad bhava bhavita, which means that wherever, whatever your mind is fixated on when you leave the world, and that will occur because of the accumulation of these uh, impressions that become calcified. They're very hard. So it's not like at the time of death you can say, hey, wait a minute, I need a five minute do over. I'm going to become spiritual now. You don't get do-overs. You get them now, so it's a good time for your do-overs right now. But when you're in the throes, which means, which is spelled T-H-R-O-E-S, check it. What are the throes? Do you all know this word? Research department is working on it. Tell us. This also may be alarming, so I know it's a family show. Um, throes, it's spelled T-H-R-O-E-S. It's a noun, and it means intense or violent pain and struggle, especially accompanying birth, death, or great change. Nice, right? Family show, Sunday afternoon. Okay, so when you leave the body, it's known as the throes because it's a very intense time. So there's a science behind it, science in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, uh, according to how we've allowed our minds to calcify throughout life by taking little drops here, little drops there, it all comes into a whole cave of stalactites and stalagmites. And then uh, material nature very kindly uh, offers us another body exactly <laughs> resembling uh, our desires that are considered on aggregated level. So now, the way that Krishna says we can 
make the mind free. And we can overcome this tendency to become attracted to everything in the world and then try to take some enjoyment from it, which then causes us to uh, take on these Sladini samskars. Doesn't mean that we can't have enjoyment in the world. And it doesn't mean that we can't interact with the world and use our senses. But he says, first of all, that we should utilize the process of uh, the mind of thinking of Krishna. And so he says, Tasmat Sarveshu, Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu, which means that at all times and places you should utilize this. Mad Anushmara Yud. Sorry. Tasmat Sarveshu Kaleshu, Mamanusvara Yudyacha. So he's saying that uh, throughout your life, practice bringing your mind to Krishna. Now, I said a moment ago, you don't have to give up the sense objects, right? So what did I say about 17 and a half minutes ago about all the things that we have in the world and how they can be transformed for 250 points? Stalagmites and stalactites are still at 300. Yes, Tori, what is it? Huh? Here comes a mic if, you, if you're into it. We need a mic check on aisle three, please. Hello? Yes, there you are. Can use in Krishna's service. That if we uh, transform them into service for Krishna, then it becomes spiritual. Okay, two fifty. So let's give a few examples. When I'm going to use myself as an example, uh, um, uh, shamefully, so please don't mind. When I came into the bhakti yoga process, I was a very skinny little runt. I grew a little bit. Um, I was skinny because in high school, I decided that I was going to be 100% spiritual. It was my junior year of high school. I said, enough of this other stuff. I'm going to be spiritual. So as far as I could tell, the best way to do that would be to give up the world. So one of the things I thought was most connected with the world was eating. So I decided, rather unsuccessfully, that I would give up eating. So I reduced my eating a lot. By the time I met devotees who were teaching this philosophy of Krishna consciousness, I was very skinny. And they said, what's your problem? And I said, <laughs> I said, I'm giving up the world. I don't eat. Just a little palmful of oats is all I would eat and some water. And so they said, no, you got it all wrong. You can eat. You just have to eat food that's spiritual. And I said, could you please show me some? And that was when I started gaining weight. <laughs> because the food they showed me looked a lot better than oats. And uh, I remember after committing myself to be a monk in the temple, they had fed me uh, <clears throat> one of the sweetest, tastiest things I'd ever had in my life called halva. Anybody here ever had halva? You've had it? Okay. 
So <clears throat> I'm giving a confession here, but I ate so much halava, I thought I would die. And what came through my mind when I thought I was dying of eating too much halava was the headlines, maybe in my school newspaper, that such and such, who thought he was a big spiritual hero, standout, died of overeating. <laughs> the point is, there is spiritual food, which is good news. And there's a process for spiritualizing it, which just happens to be the same way that we spiritualize our minds, which means <clears throat> to offer them in service. So when the eating process is that I get a bag of something that's sealed, any of the food items that are around the periphery of the grocery store are closer to actual food. Other things are called food-like substances. Did you know that? It's good to be aware of because overly processed foods. And so let's just say you buy a food-like substance that has a real zing to it because there's lots of spices and artificial flavors. And then you open it and you jam your hand into it and then you stuff it in your mouth and eat it. That's different than if you get nice substances or wholesome ingredients and even if they're simple, and you cook them in a mindset that I'm going to offer this to Krishna. And then when you're done cooking, you make a simple arrangement to offer it to Krishna with a few um, from the heart prayers that I'm offering you this. And then you eat it. Then it's spiritual. And so in Krishna's instruction that in all times and places means that everything that we do in our life, whatever it may be, whether it's our work or having children or uh, eating, then it can be spiritualized. So when you're doing it, you're thinking of Krishna. And when you do that, then your mind becomes purified and all the aspects of your life become naturally happy because you're engaging the senses, you get all the variety that you were hoping for, but it's satisfying rather than it overstimulating, and it doesn't cause any reaction. And more than that, it actually uh, awakens within us a sense of spiritual happiness and an intention to do more service. So, last point before we take some reflections. It's hard for me, someone might say, to connect all these things. I I do so many things in my life, how am I going to connect them all to Krishna? So the very simple process for doing that, almost automatically, is mentioned by Srila Prabhupada. Remember I mentioned Srila Prabhupada? He was the founder of this organization, and he brought many books. I, I said he brought uh, two main books when he first came here. What were they? For 200 points. What would you say? Ramayan, wrong question, wrong answer. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye, nope. What else? What did you say? No. The Bhagavad Gita. And the okay, 200 points. All you others, Catcher in the Rye. No, you were wrong. Yeah, so <laughs> he brought the Bhagavad Gita. He wrote commentary to the Bhagavad Gita. And the verse I just mentioned, 
he wrote a comment in it uh, to that verse practically telling us how we can apply this principle. So now I'm going to read it to you. And if someone would bring me a Bhagavad Gita, then uh, I'll have it in my hands and I can read it. Because I prefer not to take away the Zoom because it's too nice. And I see my god brother Ratatvaj Swami there and it's giving me great joy. Hare Krishna Maharaj. You can give him a hand. Okay, here's the verse. It's at 8.7. And Krishna says, Therefore, Arjuna, and this therefore comes after the part where I just scared everybody by saying your mind gets calcified. Whatever you remember at the time of death, that's what you're going to get, whether you like it or not. Now Krishna says, Therefore, Arjuna, you should always think of me in the form of Krishna. And at the same time, carry out your prescribed duties duty of fighting with your activities dedicated to me and your mind and intelligence fixed on me you will attain me without doubt so Arjuna was a warrior that's why he was saying you got to fight here's the purport the purport is an explanation of the verse given in resonance with all of the previous uh, great teachers of bhakti this instruction to Arjuna is very important for all men and women engaged in material activities. The Lord does not say that one should give up his or her prescribed duties or engagements. One can continue them and at the same time think of Krishna by chanting Hare Krishna. This will free one from material contamination and engage the mind and intelligence in Krishna. By chanting Krishna's names, one will be transferred to the supreme planet, Krishna Loka, without a doubt. Okay, what did you hear so far? Anything you heard since the beginning of the monologue that stuck in your minds? Bali Mardan Prabhu. Hare Krishna. So I like your point about uh, sthita prajna, as it is uh, very much important in this world to live in both the material world and in spiritual practice. So sthita prajna explanation, the how you how you stand out, and what is the stability that is very important, and we should meditate. Thank you for. Uh, thank you for bringing this up. This is very important in this section of the Bhagavad Gita that Bali Mardan is referring to and recalling from what we discussed earlier, Krishna describes how we should become stita pragna. That means that the mind should become fixed. We need to have a clear plan, and uh, the mind also has to have strength. Not only do we have to have a good plan, but you also have to have what's called yoga balena. It comes in, in a verse later in this chapter 8, where, if I may and I'll try, Krishna says, uh, prayana kale manasachalena 
bhaktya yukto yoga balena chaiva bruvor madye pranamavesha samyak satam param purusham paiti divyam and here he's saying that the those who take time uh, during this lifetime you don't have to take all your time but you have to take at least some time and it's recommended at least every day to do some yoga practice because what you'll get is invaluable. It's called yoga balena. Bal means strength. So you have strength of mind. And remember, I did that um, survey earlier where I asked, have you ever uh, wanted to do something and then you end up doing something different? Or you had a plan not to eat a gallon of ice cream with a single spoon sitting in the corner in the dark, but you looked later and the, it was empty? Huh? Well, when you have yoga balena, you have the presence of mind, you have discrimination, and you also have this kind of otherworldly strength that will amaze you. It, it, it amazes those who practice it because they go, where did that come from? How did I get this strength? Normally, I would be the one in the corner with the spoon and the empty gallon of ice cream. And uh, yoga balena comes from contact with Krishna. So you get both things when you chant Hare Krishna. You get this uh, sense of discrimination. You also get spiritual strength. And this is called stita pragna. Your mind is fixed. You can't be pushed around by the lower senses and say, hey, I wanted that. And uh, you say, okay, later. We'll get it for you. Ha ha. And you just keep moving on. Okay, let's see. A couple more uh, thoughts. What did you hear? that's stuck in your mind. We'll churn them out and then it'll stick more deeply. One point, the sound vibration you're hearing, you will be in that consciousness you said, right? That yes, exactly. Thanks for bringing that up. Every realm is distinguished by the sound vibration in the realm. And that's why movies use a soundscape. If you see, for instance, if you saw a movie where there's some dire circumstances, but it had very light music, you'd think, oh, actually, they're just kidding. <laughs> but if you see something uh, that looks light, but the music is very heavy, then you'll think, oh, this is heavy. W the, the realm is defined by the sound and, and the level of our consciousness or our consciousness itself, which is also a realm. I mean, we have to live in this body, which is a realm. It's a place of residence. That was one of the definitions we got from the research department, that it's a, a field that we live in. So the realm that we live in is defined by the kind of sound vibration that we not only imbibe, but that resonates in the mind stuff after we imbibe it, we take it in and it stays there. So this is why chanting the Maha Mantra, which is a uh, purely spiritual sound vibration, that comes from the fourth dimension. There's three dimensions here in the material world. And then when you go into the fourth dimension, it's called Turiya. It's beyond the, the uh, fetters of the material world. And then when that sound comes down here, you can channel it down through what's called the parampara, and you take the, the sound, the mantra, and when you repeat it, then it purifies the realm of the mind. And this is the technique for becoming spiritually strong, having dis discrimination. And also, ultimately, when, when we're leaving this particular body, we'll have the wherewithal 
to think of Krishna, and the best and easiest way to think of Krishna is by chanting his name, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare. Good point. Let's take two more. Yes, Prabhu. Yeah, you don't need a mic. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I love the ending. You will attain me without a doubt. It's a guarantee. It's a surety. What else we are looking for? I don't know. Yeah, that's important. There's no doubt that if you apply this process that it'll be effective. So... You know, when you get guarantees from most places, it's uh, hard, hard to abide. Uh, they, they are hard to abide because we think uh, maybe, you know, it's just an advertising ploy or something like that. But when, we're, when we change our mindset and we think there, there are influences in this world and influencers that uh, don't come from the material realm, we need that. And there's a sense that there's someone that's not conditioned by the same laws I'm conditioned by, who is speaking things, who's offering uh, devices for us. In fact, uh, there's a technical term for this called avatar. An avatar is one who comes down from a higher position to our position, in this case, in my condition, not yours, but uh, comes down to save somebody who's helpless and fallen, and then is able to pull that person back up. So uh, the name itself and the mantra is an avatar. It actually comes from a higher level. There's a poem about it. You want to hear the poem? It's in Bengali. Golokera premadhana hari nama sankirtana Golokera Hari Nama Sankirtan. Golokara Prema Dana. Hari Nama Sankirtan. Golokara Prema Dana. Hari Nama Sankirtan. Golokara Prema Dana. Hari Nama Sankirtan. It means that the, uh, this avatar, in the form of a mantra, has come down from highest realm of the spiritual world. So if you take that and serve it by saying it, chanting it, then without a doubt, you'll become successful in your yoga practice. Okay, that leaves us with one more reflection. Yeah. Times plus one. Thank you so much for such a wonderful class. Um, I'm reminded of... Um, and you were sharing about how you, in the beginning of your Krishna conscious life, um, you know, how you had a notion of not eating so that you can be spiritual. Um, I got reminded that when I was first reading Prabhupada's um, Your Ever Well Wisher, the short version of the Leelamrita, I was very struck when Prabhupada said that I didn't come with anything. He didn't have, you know, he, he was old, he was 70, and... He didn't have any money on him, not much. But he said he had the faith in holy name. And that really caught my attention at that time that, you know, because 
coming to the US from a country um, where the culture is so different. I had experienced that and um, of course Prabhupada went through so much more and at such an old age um, when he said that he had faith in the holy name and that was all that kept him going. I was so struck by that. Thank you. So we can try it. Just try depending on the mantra, which is what is being suggested here. And remember that your problems and whatever complexities there are, whatever shortages you feel will be fulfilled, the shortages will be, and the complexities um, ironed out by the by thinking of Krishna, and the best way to think of Krishna is by chanting the mantra. Okay, for the close, Kameshwari. Hare Krishna, So the point that um, stuck to me is the Ananya Shintayantoma Yejana Paripasati, the shloka that you brought up. Because uh, uh, if you remember, Krishna promises if you remember him, then he uh, provides uh, what we lack and maintains what we have. And definitely we need things to live and we need ability to serve. Uh, I just wanted to share uh, quickly yesterday when we were on book distribution, uh, one family, um, the lady, she opened the door and she said, um, uh, my son just woke up, come after some time. So we went, we covered a few doors, we went back. And then we opened, uh, again we knocked, then the husband came that time. <laughs> so then um, he mentioned that his parents are devote, connected to his con and they, they know, he knows Lord Chaitanya. So it is very rare to, you know, to anybody knows Lord Chaitanya when we go out. And he said his name is uh, Sai Krishna Chaitanya. So my parents named me. Uh, so we were so happy. But uh, he said, you know, my, we have a two-year-old and we, he just born in pandemic and we are hands full and we are going to have a second child soon, so you can imagine, we don't know when we will read the books. And I know everything my parents told. So many things, uh, we're trying to glorify everything done. And uh, I was thinking that probably he's not ready. But then uh, I was thinking only if, if Krishna inspires him, something can happen. Otherwise, I, was, I, I kept quiet. Then Ramrati Prabhu steps in and he says, uh, we totally understand you don't have time. No worries. We just need help preserved. So you please keep it in your library. You read when you can later. When, you know, somewhere in window will open up. And uh, definitely he had some good samskara. <laughs> so he, he, he opened up and he said, okay, fine. He, he said, I will take it. And uh, he took. So uh, I was just thinking that, um, you know, anybody accepting the book, Krishna has to give him the inspiration from within. And there is nothing we can do. I mean, how much, what ability we have. We can only remember him. We can only remember him and he can make things happen. Uh, so I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you so much. very practical. Even engaged in service, we have to depend on Krishna for the result. Every aspect of our life. That's not too you're talking about. Oh, Maharaj, please go ahead. You were, you were saying how Krishna's guarantee is 
the real guarantee. One of the devotees brought it up, and you confirmed that Krishna's guarantee is a real guarantee. And I was out on book distribution, and I, of course, I met a man, and he said, I said, what do you do? He says, I'm in quality control. I said, well, that's a really good job. I said, that's a great job. He says, no, we control the quality. He says, we make it good enough to last through the warranty, then we make it break down a little bit, and then we make it so you have to replace it. <laughs> so uh, Krishna's guarantee is the real guarantee, not this quality control guarantee. Uh, and the man did take a book. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj. Practical example. <laughs> Please come take prasadam.